Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. And this is Bob Siegel. So, you'd like to believe in God, but you wonder, does prayer really work? For a prayer to be answered, wouldn't God have to change his mind? Can we really change God's mind? Well, friend, my co-host today is Jim Barrier, and I can at least say this, I did not change my mind about having him on the program. Jim, welcome back. Well, that's a great introduction, and it'll just jump right into our topic. But first, I have to say this. Okay, Brendan made this call. I think we both know, although he's the one who thought of it first, what you're about to say. Go ahead. Okay, go Aztec. All right, that was it. (laughs) Now. I mean, first Final Four ever? Come on. Ever, but I I, I need to qualify it because, you know, at, at the start of the year, I always make sports predictions. And I predicted that Kansas would win the NCAA. Well, they got bounced way way back there and in fact there are no number one seeds left there isn't even a one two or three seed in the final four so i'm happy with that because the aztecs are in i don't care about all the others so that's a great celebration my my wife graduated from state and some of my best friends there in san diego including bill Mackey, who was my best man when we got married 42 years ago graduated state and then went on to work there so i'm very very happy that the hometown boys uh, advance. Well, you know, Jim, okay. doesn't that make you sound like a racist against anybody from San Diego State when you say some of my best friends went to San Diego State? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I got to take whatever I can get. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking and, about. It's like. I, I do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was a great day for. For uh, the alumni and the fans and, and the students and the players at that school, and, and I'm very happy for them. And who knows? Maybe God changed His mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you made a great point. I was going to use it as a closing point, but you opened with it, and, and that is this. Everybody listening, I want you to think about this question carefully. If God can't change His mind, why do we pray? Is it a game? Is it some little Jedi mind trick? Is it, why do we even bother praying if it isn't going to have any effect? And then that's just the dominoes start to fall. Why do we evangelize if people can't have their hearts changed? Why do we pray for people? Why do we send out missionaries? All of those things. And if we're made in God's image and we can change our minds, then that would say something about God's nature. I would think so. And, and that's I, I think that's the whole reason we're able to connect. We're created in his image, and he very much created us not because he was lonely, but he did want to have relationship. He wanted to share his love and his goodness and this creation uh, with us. And he made us not for his sake so much that he was missing something or lacking something, but he did it because he wanted to have uh, an expression of love and to interact with us and to, to have conversation with us and to hear from us. Now, things went miserably wrong with the very first two people, (laughs) but that's part of the thing, too. He's so redemptive, that did not stifle God or ruin his plan. You know, it's an amazing thing, and and we're going to talk about some examples 
Uh, you, now, you did a show a couple of weeks ago, and you talked about this, and, and I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. But I thought, well, I'd like to just expound a little more, add a few more things. Uh, that's what I get to do as a co-host. <laughs> so, you put the co um, into host. Yeah. Uh, well, and I really, I do really love being on this show. You know that. So I'm going to start right off with some stories out of the Bible. Now, we know it, you read the story of creation, and I believe in creation. I don't care uh, how you want to define things. People can believe in literal 24-hour days. People can believe in, in eons. I, it, that is the point. The point is God created everything. In fact, I have said this for decades. If you believe the first line in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, then nothing else in the Bible should be hard to believe. Miracles, resurrection, virgin birth, none of those things should be hard to believe if God can create everything out of nothing. So we read this story. It's a beautiful story, however you want to time frame it. And he creates something, and he says, it was good. And he creates something else, he says, it was good. And he does that, and then he creates man, and he goes, it was good. Very good. And you just get the sense that he was very pleased. Have you ever built something or had a hobby or you work in a garden or you do something and you step back and go, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and, and I'm my fun. own worst critic. If I'm writing a novel or a play, I'll rework it <laughs> yeah. and I'll just go, this yeah. is horrible. But when I finally get it right to the point where yeah. I, my own worst critic, like it, it is yeah. a great feeling of satisfaction. And I think that has something to do with your finite and fallen capacity, but yet created in the image of God, you are a creative being. We all are. We just express it in different ways. And there's a whole study that I teach on that about the creativity and the DNA that we have from our creator. So he does it. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. And then you don't even get, you get the chapter six is as far as you get. And it says these words, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. So the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Now, you can say it's an anthropomorphism or whatever, but, uh, you know, and I think people use that thing about anthropomorphisms. Wasn't Jesus an anthropomorphism? Wasn't he God taking on the form of man to relate to us? So, I think that God was sorry in his heart. I, I, don't need, I don't think we need to help him or twist things or defend him. Uh, and the fact that God sees all of time in a glance and wasn't surprised by it doesn't change the fact that however he sees it, he did see it, and he did feel the way he felt about it. And he did. And, and I, you mentioned that in the show, and, and I wanted to just say this about that, because that is part of a belief system, but even if God isn't affected by time, because if he wasn't, that would mean time is bigger than him. But even if God doesn't relate to time the way we do, we are affected by time. We live in time. I'm not eternal uh, in that sense that I live yesterday and today and forever and all of that stuff. I live minute by minute, day by day, and God knows that. He created me that way. And so when he interacts with his creation, which is you and I and, and everybody else, he deals with us on a level that, if you will, just as it says that Jesus set aside his right to the Godhead, God gets past his timelessness, if you want to call it that, because he's dealing with us, and we can't do that. So when he works with us, interacts with us, and deals with us, he very much deals with us 
in sequence of time, because that's what we live in. Some of these stories I'm going to read just, just bear that out. So I think he was sorry. I think he was grieved. I think things went, went terribly wrong. I mean, immediately Adam and Eve said, and then one of their sons kills one of the other sons. And it's just, it was a mess. But he didn't give up. And it wasn't like he was, oh, now what do I do? Wringing his hands. He kept moving, interacting with his creation. But it gets so bad in chapter 6 that the whole world is a mess. And he was grieved in his heart. Now we know that the rest of the story is Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That we used to sing that song in Sunday school. And so God spared a family, Noah and his wife and three sons and and however many people that equaled and and, uh, animals. and, and, And again, I don't care if you believe in the great flood or I don't call it that anymore because it, you get so much criticism. I call it the worldwide aquatic catastrophe. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> and and whether you, if you don't believe that or you don't believe in the big boat or whatever, the story is that God was so grieved, he started over again, and it didn't take, I mean, golly, Noah lands on dry land, first thing he does is plant a vineyard, grapes grow, he makes wine, he gets drunk and curses one of his sons. <laughs> We're a mess. And God's going, I spared this guy, this is the guy yeah. I spared? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you might say, you know, a good Jewish comedian would maybe be able to deal with that. And it goes on and on and on. You have all these situations going on, but God just keeps going with it. And you talked about some of the stories with Moses. He, he was going to wipe Israel out. And Moses said, no, if you're going to wipe them out, wipe me out too. And so God said, okay, I'll spare them. So there's a lot of stories. But we're going to be about a minute or so from break. Maybe give me a little ding there, Brendan, or something so I can cut it off. Genesis 18, great story. Abraham negotiates for Sodom, who God has already said he's going to overthrow, he's going to, he's going to destroy him, and Abraham negotiates with God because his nephew Lot lived there. Which he doesn't he mention to God, but God understands that that's what's really concerning him. Oh, yeah, yeah, God sees the big picture. But, but he, you know, he starts, he says, well, if I can find 50, God says, yeah, okay, 50. And he, he keeps whittling it down, pretty soon he gets down to 10, and then he just kind of, he quits. And I think the reason is, because Abraham realized what God realized. He wasn't going to find 10, and Sodom wasn't worth saving. But at least God heard him out. He could have just said, as soon as Abraham said, if you can find 50, he could have just said, look, Abraham, just shut up. (laughs) It's a done deal. Now, Abraham, again, one of my favorite stories in all the scripture. God told Abraham to kill his son. After all those years, he finally has a son, and then God says, take him up on the mountain, I'm going to show you, and build an altar and sacrifice him. And Abraham said, okay. And Isaac went along with it, which is even more astounding. And so he gets up there, he builds the altar, puts the wood on it, and he ties up Isaac and reaches out his knife to kill his son. And this is what it says, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven. And I happen to believe the angel of the Lord is what we would call, it was an Old Testament appearance of God. But he says... Abraham, here I am, like he didn't know, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Now that's a profound thing. He said, well, it was an angel. Surely the angel had been given an assignment, and I believe it's because he was testing Abraham's heart. Now, Hebrews gives us the full picture there. In Hebrews 11, it says Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac because he believed that God could raise him from the dead. 
Now, that's profound faith. He was willing to kill his son because he knew that God was good. But the point of it is, is that Abraham took him to that point. He said, now stop. And it sounds an awful lot like a change of heart. And also a test for Abraham so that Abraham could know where his heart is. But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere. And in fact, many times in the Old Testament, God says, I'm testing Israel to see what's in their heart. He said it to Hezekiah. He said he left him alone to test him to see what was in his heart. And all the time I hear people saying, well, that means he's testing them so they would know. It doesn't say that. The language is not there. It's clearly that God is saying, I'm testing you to find out where you're at. I would have to differ a little bit here, because although it may not be explicitly stated, there are other places, such as when God commands the Israelites to go into Canaan, and one of the reasons he tells them to displace them is that those false gods are demanding human sacrifice. And God makes it very clear that he does not demand human sacrifice. Now, Abraham, growing up in his times and growing up around polytheism, he would have believed that God had the right to ask for a human sacrifice. But he doesn't really ask for it. Now, some would say, well, wasn't Jesus the sacrifice? Well, yes, he was, but Jesus was God himself, God incarnate. So I don't think in this particular case that God ever intended for Abraham to go through with it, but he did want to test him and see if he would go through with it. That's my take. That's what I'm saying. I I agree completely. In fact, it's a great typology. And, And a lot of theologians and people say that Mount Moriah, where that took place, is in the same range as where Calvary was, and and that it's a type of God sacrificing his only son. It is a great type. Anyway, my point is that it, it it doesn't say in the language at all that he did it so that Abraham would know. He, he did it so that he could prove who he is, and many times he tested Israel to find out how they would act, how they would respond. And, but I hear all the time, uh, I've heard preachers and, and people say, well, no, he was doing it so they would know. But it doesn't say that in most of those places. I have to it believe that Abraham had some kind of hesitation. This is my only son oh, and got himself oh, yeah. in confusion. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he made the decision that he made. So in the yeah. sense yeah. that Abraham may have wavered back and forth, and finally he said, okay, I need to obey what God told me. And he was probably very relieved. Yeah, I, I'm sure Abraham, I'm sure that was a... A horrible thing for him to go through emotionally. But my point is, is that it, the language isn't there saying that he did it so that they would know or he would know. Now, there's uh, there's places, you know, there's just scriptures we love to quote. Today I put before you a blessing and a curse, and choose this day whom you will serve. He's always putting choices before us. Absolutely. And we don't know. We don't know until that point comes how we're going to respond. And God does everything. And and again, in the the case in Hebrews 11, saying that Abraham believed that God could raise his son from the dead, there is this thing of trusting the nature and character of God, whatever he leads us into. And he does lead us into tough things. Jesus was baptized by John in the river, and the Holy Spirit immediately led him into the wilderness to be tempted. So sometimes God leads us into difficult places, and um, we don't always understand why. Okay, now let's move on. More stories, more stories. That's some great stories. God tells Moses, if Israel does not obey his commands and ordinances and statutes, they will be defeated and scattered. But if they repent, he will restore them. So there's this kind of, I call it cosmic chess. It's like God saying, okay, you make a move. I know what I'm going to do, but you make a move, and then I'm going to make another move. And so I think he interacts with us because we are limited in time. And we're very limited on, uh, in our capacities. We're broken, we're fallen, and we're finite. And so he deals with us on that level very personally. 
Now, I don't know if you mentioned in, in the broadcast a few weeks ago, but the story of Hezekiah, Isaiah comes to him and says, Oh, that's a good one Lord. where he's going to die and then he... he... Yeah, he, yeah, yeah he said, the Lord says, yeah. get your house in order, you're going to die and not live. And Hezekiah turned to the wall, prayed, and sought the Lord saying, please, and he pleads his case. And he- Hezekiah wept profusely, it says, and before Isaiah could get out of the courtyard, the Lord, word of the Lord came to him and said, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, This is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer, seen your tears. Behold, I am going to heal you. And on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add, add 15 years to your life. That is not a fixity. This is a thing that God is doing right there on the spot. So here's my point. That's We're like going to the landlord and getting an extra 15 months on your lease. <laughs> Cosmic yeah, yeah, landlord yeah, in the yeah, sky. Very much so. Yeah. See, I believe that God deals with us right where we're at. And I just think that he is capable. If God isn't capable of changing his mind, if he's not capable of having new thoughts, for instance, and it grieved God that he had made man or things like that, then God is actually trapped in some sort of little thing that's been wound up, and he's not sovereign then. If he can't make a new decision, then he's not sovereign. If God can't make a new choice, then he's not sovereign. And that's a tough pill to swallow for Calvinists. Let me ask you a uh, question, because they, Jim, because a lot yeah, of people are listening yeah, right now, and I'm in wholehearted oh, yeah. agreement with you based on what you're saying, and of course you already heard my earlier broadcast about this. But there are some Christians, many, as you said, that are threatened by this idea that he's somehow yeah. less God if he changes his mind. Why do you think people find that a threat? Apparently, they are connecting it to something they shouldn't be connecting it to. They're apparently conflating well, this idea with some other worry or concern. Well, I'll tell you what my opinion is, and this is based on the studies I've done. And I do have a degree in theology for whatever that's worth. My degree in theology plus six bucks will get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Uh, but I do have one. How many cereal box tops did you send in for that degree? <laughs> no, I put some work into it. But, oh, okay. I was going to uh, ask if it was Kellogg's or General Mills, but go ahead. Continue. Well, well, here it is. And study of church history. Now, as you know, John Calvin was mightily affected by Augustine of Hippo. And Augustine did studies in Eastern religion that affected his theology. And he introduced some concepts into Christianity that led to what we now call Calvinism. And I am... And predestination. And all of that. There's a whole thing. We, we could do a whole show just on Calvinism, but I don't want to. But I am 180 degrees from classic Calvinism in my theology. And the Reformers are the ones who affected most of the translations, most of the theology, most of the thinking of the Western Church. And so whether people realize it or not, they are very, very Calvinistic in their thinking. And so this notion flies in the face of that, because if everything is set, if everything is predestined, if the elect are going to go to heaven and whatever you call the non-elect are going to go to hell and all of that stuff, if you question God's omniscience is how they would, uh, the word they would use, which I don't think it means what most people think it means, but they are threatened by that because you're saying, well, God's not God. He's not big enough. My point is what I just said earlier. I think God's small if he can't 
be sovereign and do whatever he wants to do with his creation. It's almost like That's the same point. theology that takes free will away from people is taking free will away from God, even though they would adamantly yeah, deny that. Yeah. Yeah, I think another well, part of this, too, that as I've thought about this, people say, well, God is unchanging. Well, that's true. But when the Bible says God is unchanging, they mean his character is unchanging. So there are certain things he will not change his mind about. He's not going to change his mind about what's a sin. He's not going to change his there mind are, about yeah. what's right yeah. or what's wrong. But sometimes the morality put aside, there's more than one way to do something. It's like when you're hiking, we've all been hiking, backpacking. Sometimes you're going along the trail and there's one path that goes mm -hmm. one way and one path that goes the other way. And you're afraid to take one of them because you might get lost, but you're with a guy who says, oh, I've been here before. Actually, you can take yeah. either one of these because they'll both wind around and get back on the same path. So there can be yeah. different ways for God to do things. Absolutely. But I think people conflate it with his moral nature, that God is morally unchanging. Yeah. That's true, and we're not saying otherwise tonight. Yeah, I, don't, I would never challenge that. Uh, you know, everything in my belief system, my theology, the foundations, the core values I have is rooted in God's character and nature. And he is who he is, but how he reacts with us, and I want to go back to that thought, I'll keep saying it, and hopefully somebody will get it, is he reacts with us because we are not infinitely grand, we are not perfect, we, we don't see everything, We're very, we, we see very little. And so he has to deal with us individually on our level for our best, and uh, he keeps his own rules. You know, when he says to love, he loves because he's perfect. We unfortunately aren't perfect in that. So Okay, he uh, is who he is, and we are who we are, and who we are is yeah. we are radio talk show hosts <laughs> about to take a break. We'll be right back. Bob Siegel's novels may start out looking like typical stories, but in no time at all, they go directions you would never have dreamed about. Just listen to the premise of Bob Siegel's unusual story, Choice of the Lorelei. Martha Flannery, an aggressive missionary, sets out for the Frasian Islands to convert the newly discovered tribe called Renu. Here she enters into a strong battle of wills with Dr. Connors, a cultural anthropologist who wants to protect the Renu people from outside influence, especially evangelism. Connors' strange manners and obsession with the Renu are only the first of several eerie mysteries, including previous visitors to the island who never returned home and an elderly gentleman claiming to be 4,000 years old. Choice of the Lorelei, available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. So let's, okay, there used to be a show, Back to the Bible. So we're going to go back to the Bible. I remember uh, that show. Yeah, yeah. Now, probably my favorite book in the Old Testament is the book of Jonah. And there's so much good stuff in there. Oh, that's but loaded with choices and changing of oh the minds and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah, even Jonah himself. And the men on the ship, it's a great thing because the men on the ship throw him overboard, and then they repent, and they give an offering, and they dedicate themselves to make a vow to the Lord. So the guys on the boat got saved. <laughs> yeah, for a guy who didn't want to go and talk about repentance, Jonah saw yeah. more repentance those next few days than yeah. he'd ever seen in his life. Including his own life after yeah, three days. He exactly. finally gets but here's the message. God told Jonah to declare 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He does not say, Jonah, go tell them to repent and maybe I'll spare them. He says, 40 days, Nineveh is overthrown. And what happens? Nineveh repented. All of them. From the king to the cows. 
And when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God, here's the word, folks, relented of the disaster. Now, that word relent, if you look in a strong concordance, is the exact same word that's translated repent in other places. It's the exact same word. God repented. Now, again, people say, well, God is not a man that he should repent. No, he's not a man that needs to repent. No, he didn't repent from sin, but the word repent literally means a changing of the mind. Changing of the mind, and there you go. And you can find that word several times in the Old Testament where God relented, or he said he would relent, depending on the action of the people. So that's an incredible story. Wonderful story, and again, and I I believe in in the story of Jonah and the big fish. It doesn't say the word whale, does it? It actually but, just uh, uses a word that would be some kind of sea monster. We don't know what it was, yeah, but whatever it was, it was, it was a miracle, and Jonah was glad to survive and be alive. Yeah, and it's a great story because it gives hope to anybody in the worst situation. Even down to the end, you know, Jonah's still arguing with God about the whole thing. He says, you make me look bad, basically. (laughs) He's like a whiny little kid. Yeah, yeah. And God deals with him graciously and mercifully. He He spares the guys on the boat. He spares Jonah from the belly of the great sea creature. And he spares Nineveh. And then at the end, he says, don't I have the right to show mercy on all these people and their cattle? I love that. And their cattle. So it's a great story, and it shows the real character and nature of God that He is ever merciful. There's a myth in, in some modern thinking in Christianity, and that's that God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but a God of mercy in the New Testament. Uh, absolutely so, not true. He was a God of wrath and mercy in both Testaments. In both. Yeah, ask Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> no kidding. But, but He was merciful all the time. Their whole Psalms dedicated to His mercy. So I love that book of, of Jonah because it just shows the true colors. It shows how merciful God is. Folks, if you don't know anything else about what God is like, what his nature and character is, or his attributes, understand this. He is merciful. He has always been merciful, and he will always be merciful. It's part of his nature to show mercy. So, What I also like about that story is it shows the intimate relationship that Jonah had with God. I mean, yeah, he's whining yeah. like a spoiled brat, but the fact that he felt that comfortable with God and yeah. that God was willing to listen to that and not just blast yeah. him, it shows the intimacy that we can have with God. You know, find anybody in the Old Testament or New Testament other than Jesus <laughs> Who, who didn't have some flaws, you know? I mean, all of them, the great ones, they all had, you know, they did goofy things, but God loved them, and he worked with them. You said he, the intimacy, and, and he took each person right up to you and me at who we are and deals with us on a personal level. He doesn't hold me uh, accountable for your decisions, nor you mine. And I love that. You know, just, Jim, you and I are going to work this out. And I'll take, I'm patient. I've been around a long time. I can wait you out. <laughs> and he'll do whatever it takes to get me to come here. Well, his I way. will I testify that I'm especially grateful for his patience because I would not be here otherwise. Yeah. Maybe one last story, if I can squeeze this in. And it's the story of Samuel. The, you know, the people whined. Everybody else is a king. We want a king. And so the Lord tells Samuel, okay, get him a king, and Samuel gets mad. You know, he takes offense at that. 
And uh, God says, don't, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But we'll give them a king. So he, he, he gives them Saul. And then what happens? Saul goes out and he just goofs up royally. He's supposed to slay the enemy, and he, he spares some of them against God's command as a result of all that. And that's a story where, where Samuel says obedience is better than sacrifice. And after that, it says, God says this to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. You see how that works? It's, it's interplay. The appointed king, anointed king, but then turns away from the Lord and becomes inflated with his own ego and his own importance. And God says, I'm, I regret that I made him king. And he found another king. And, and David wasn't perfect was he? But, you know, God can make new choices. He can do whatever yeah, he wants. I, I read all the stories of the kings, even from the time of the split kingdoms. There were maybe oh. five good ones. One of them was David, and even he committed adultery and murder to try to cover it up. Yeah. All right. We'll Horrible. be right back. You're listening yeah. to The Bob Siegel Show. You've already heard some of the wonderful customer reviews of the Dangerous Christmas Ornament. But now listen to some highlights from a professional review by Lisa Ruth of Communities Digital News. The book is literally a page-turner that will delight children and adults alike. Readers will find a piece of themselves in Mike, whom Siegel portrays perfectly. He develops the 12-year-old deftly and makes him real to the readers. They will adore Aunt Lorene. They will remember their first love and the pain of betrayal from a friend. Caligula the cat is a wonderfully clever addition to the story. He steals the book with his caustic insight making all readers wonder just what their own pets would say if they could talk. The real gift of the dangerous Christmas ornament is the lessons it weaves amid the adventure. It reminds us of the social and personal responsibility we share and the repercussions of our actions on those around us. The dangerous Christmas ornament has adventure, entertainment, and some extremely important lessons. What more could you ask for in a book? Now, I want to come back to what we started with this evening about prayer. Uh, why pray? If everything is wound up and, and uh, it's all set, then why even bother praying? Here are some prayers, just a few select prayers uh, in the Old Testament. Now, one is a great story. We talked about David. Well, because of David's fooling around and, and really being a murderer, he sent somebody else to do the deed. He actually set the guy up for a suicide squad, but David had blood in his hands, and God said, you're not going to build my temple now, but your son will. And so Solomon, who, by the way, was no Boy Scout. <laughs> I, you know, people talk about he had hundreds of How wives. How many thousands of wives and concubines did uh, you he know, have? You know what? Uh, I better be careful. I, I heard somebody do the math one time. He said he'd have to go five a day to get them all in in one year. No, you know, no, I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, maybe, maybe they all had different jobs, but... Uh, maybe some washed his feet. I don't know. But but the point of it is, is he, he was, uh, I think there was, uh, it's another story, but if you look at Jesse and his life, and then David, and then Solomon, I think there was a, a problem with sexual addiction in that family, personal. That's my opinion. But anyway, Solomon builds the temple finally. And at the dedication of the thing, read it. It's a great, great prayer. He repeatedly appeals to God this. If the people backslide, but then repent, please have compassion on them and forgive them. And he understood something about God. No doubt Solomon had to pray prayers of confession, just as his father David did. You know, David says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Cleanse me. Create in me a new heart. Why pray that? If you are what you are, nothing can change. So Solomon prayed that way. Ezra prays a great prayer of confession, pleading with the Lord to show mercy. Now, why do that if it's a done deal? And then one of the greatest prayers in the Bible, I won't read the whole thing because it takes up a whole chapter in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel is confessing on behalf of the people. Before I say this, I want to qualify something here, folks. I don't believe in replacement theology, and I don't believe that America is Israel. God dealt with Israel, but he uses the same principles with nations. America is not God's chosen people, but he will deal with us. Surely, if he would judge Israel, then he will judge us if we are corrupt. Uh, Okay, we'll just move on. Especially if the church in America is not doing its job. Yeah, and, and again, and I don't think you believe, I don't believe that the church has replaced Israel. I don't think no, God's done with Israel. But there are people that'll teach that, but it, I just it's not scriptural. But if you'll read the prayer in Daniel chapter 9, and just, just for the sake of perspective, where it says Israel put America, and where it says Jerusalem put Washington, D.C., you'll get an incredible prayer. And I prayed this prayer. In fact, I prayed it at the Justice Foundation a couple of years ago, on behalf of America and and the people of America and pleaded for mercy and confessed our sins. The sins of America are great, folks, on both sides of the aisle. This is not a party or political thing. This is a moral thing. We have serious problems in this country. So Daniel prays this prayer of confession, and then he concludes it with this. This is where I wanted to get to. My God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations, and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our pleas before you based on our merits of our own, but based on your great compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. What a great insight into the heart of God. He doesn't say, we deserve it. He says, it's for your own name's sake, Lord. Please have mercy. Show your compassion, because I know that's what you're like. I know that's who you are. And he appeals to him in prayer. I believe that prayer changes things. I believe that prayer changes history. If I didn't believe that, I would stop being on the radio right now. I would stop doing podcasts. I would stop writing books. And I would, in fact, consider that 50 years of ministry, 40 of those as a pastor, were just wasting my time and the people sitting there listening to me if I didn't believe that prayer changes things. Well, it wouldn't have been a complete waste of time because you still could have done Stump Jim Barrier during that time. (laughs) However, your primary point is well taken. And uh, and I know you're the same way. You have spent... You're, most of your adult life trying to reach people. Since 1973, people. if I wasn't absolutely sure this was true, if I wasn't absolutely yeah. sure that God was exactly the way you portrayed him on the show, I wouldn't be here. I could think of a hundred things I'd rather do with my time if this wasn't true. You got it. So it's kind of like that thing about the resurrection. How pitiful are we if we don't believe in that? And if, if God doesn't hear our prayers, what's the point? You know? And so I, I'm very, very deeply committed to the concept that God hears our prayers and responds to our prayers, but we have the responsibility to do things His way. And if we'll just listen to Him, give Him a chance, He'll show us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to be. And so that's about all I have to say on the subject. 
<laughs> well, good. I'm glad that for once you ran out. Usually we cut you off before you had time know, to say everything that was on I your mind. I, I, in the middle of a sentence, sometimes I, I, I have too much. But, but that, I really want people to just chew on that for a while, that God really does hear us and he really does respond. And, and I love him for that. I don't think I'm going to get another 50 years out of this thing. I turned 72 this year, so I'm hoping for another 25 or 30. Well, that sounded old to me once, Jim, but it doesn't sound that old to me anymore. I've seen, talk about repenting and changing your mind. I've seen the error of my ways. So, oh, and I want, I need to to point this out in May, I think. uh, Let me get here real quick. Are you talking about your next visit to San Diego? Yeah. I think you told me it was the last week of April, actually. Yeah, April. Unless that's changed. Good. You'll be right here in the studio. Be in the studio, and I'm really excited about that. Anyway, it's just a joy doing the show, and and thank you for letting me put my two cents in. All right, my friend. It's going to be great to see you in person. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.